Good morning, everybody. <coughs> Merry Christmas from Wyoming Valley Church. We're glad you're with us today. Who feels ready for Christmas? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay, I'm impressed. Good job. Thank you, online shopping, right? <laughs> Does anybody like to go out on Christmas Eve and just enjoy the experience of being with... Yeah, nobody does. That's why we shop online. Glad you're here. Glad you're with us at Wyoming Valley Church. Merry Christmas to you and yours. I hope it's a wonderful week and day. Um, we're going to talk about the gift of perspective today. If you have your Bibles, you can join us in John 3, verses 16 to 21. This isn't really a classic Christmas passage, but it probably is the most classic passage in the entire Bible. That's why we chose it, but it does work very well with Christmas, as we'll see. We're going to call today's lesson the gift of perspective. Am I on here? Can you guys hear me okay? We're good? So I have a question before we get to the reading of the word. <clears throat> Did you ever give someone a present that wasn't received well? Think about that. Yeah, Jerry, every year? <laughs> I was quite confident. Well, I bought the present. Oh. Okay, so maybe you've heard. We, we're going to read a list of things that people say when they don't like your present. And I want to see if you've heard some of these. Not just you, Jerry, but everybody. Okay, so these are the top ten things people say when they don't like your present. Maybe you've heard some of these things. Maybe you will this year. We'll see how your online shopping went. So these are top 10 things you may hear if people do not like your present. Number 10, you really shouldn't have. You really shouldn't, really, really you shouldn't have. That's probably a sign they didn't like your present, number one. Uh, number nine is, did you keep the receipt? Did you keep the receipt? You have the receipt? Can I, can I have it? That's probably not a good sign. Uh, number eight kind of goes along with it is, um, what store is this from? Where'd you get this? Yeah, J.C. Penney's? How much was it? Those probably aren't good signs that your gift was a home run. Uh, number seven thing people say if they don't like your present is, I have nothing like this. Uh, I have nothing, nothing, literally nothing like this. I have nothing like this at all. It's not a good thing. Number six thing they may say is, they just may say, hmm, interesting. This is unique. That's a positive spin to something they don't really like. Interesting. Uh, number five thing they may say is, oh, look, and then they may repeat the present. Like, oh, look, leg warmers. Oh, look, a two-person Snuggie. If they repeat the gift, they probably don't like it. <laughs> so I've seen. Uh, number four thing they may say is, I'm pretty sure my mom uses this. Yeah, I think my mom uses this. That's kind of the kiss of death right there. Pretty sure my mom likes this. Hint, hint. Uh, number three thing they may say is, what exactly is this? What is this? Uh, tell me what this is. I don't know what this is. That's a swing and a miss. Number two, complete silence or a silent cry. They just may say nothing. They may be speechless, and that may not be a good thing. Number one thing people may say if, if someone doesn't like your present is, I don't like this. And you may be thinking, who would say that? But we've actually gotten that response from someone in our family. No one you know. But someone actually said, that. I don't like this. It's like, well, I guess you don't like it. Now I have another list, okay? Ten things... Ten signs you may find that your present is a flop. Okay, now these aren't necessarily things people say. It's just ten signs you didn't do well. Okay, number ten is they re-gift your present at a later Christmas party. <laughs> Wait, didn't I give that to you? It's like, oh, I liked it so much, I decided to give it to them also. Okay, they re-gift it. Number nine sign your present was a flop is they can't control their laughter. So do you like it? <laughs> That's not a good sign. Here's number eight. Number eight sign is they Instagram it with the hashtag swing and a miss. If you find out on Instagram with the hashtag swing and a miss, that wasn't a good thing. Number seven is they secretly put it in someone else's pile of gifts. 
just kind of find it in someone else's pile. Hey, didn't I give that to you? Uh, number six is they go to try it on, and they never come back. <laughs> hey, what, what happened to Joe? I guess he didn't like my leg warmers. Uh, number five, you hear them mumble under their breath, oh, not again. That's not a good sign. Number four, they ask you if it was a white elephant gift. Oh, is, that a white, is this a white elephant gift? Are you serious about this gift? Oh, you're serious. Okay. Just checking. Number three is they don't finish taking the wrapping paper off. You, you, can, you can finish. No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, number two sign your present might be a flop is after they open it, they say they love your sense of humor. You're hilarious. I really enjoy your sense of humor. That means they don't like the present. And number one sign your might be a flop, your present might be a flop, is everyone else besides you gets a group text followed by laughter. That's not a good sign either. <laughs> so perhaps you'll experience some of those. If you do, just kind of roll with it, because sometimes we give presents and they aren't, they aren't a home run. But we're going to look today at the gift of perspective, and we will explain that as we go along. I want to read one of the most classic passages in all of Scripture, and that's John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. So follow along as I read this passage. Listen to the Word of God. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The title today is The Gift of Perspective. The Gift of Perspective. Did you know that Two of the most famous Christmas movies of all time have the exact same message. I want you to see if you can guess the two movies that I'm thinking of. Just shout them out. Two of the most famous classic Christmas movies are... It's a Wonderful Life, okay? And this, the first one is... A, what'd you say? Oh, so close. Christmas Carol. Your name is Carol. She said a Christmas story, but she was so close, she just said a name. The two most famous Christmas movies, or two of the most famous, are A Christmas Carol, which is my favorite, and It's a Wonderful Life, which is everyone's favorite. It's interesting, though, that both of these movies, although they have different plots, they have different characters, different settings, the message is identical. Both, both of these movies have the same message, and that message is perspective. Don't they? Perspective. That's what the movies are all about. Ebenezer Scrooge is a miser and a wretch and a very mean man, and he doesn't have the proper perspective. So three spirits take him on a journey in order to give him that perspective. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey thinks his life is really bad. You know, he's got crushing debt. His house is drafty. His kids are sick. And George Bailey needs perspective. So the angel kind of takes him on a journey of what his life would be like if he didn't exist. So both movies are about perspective, and I find that interesting. So that's what we're going to talk about today, although... The movies, of course, are fictional. What we're going to look at today is, is true and real. And I don't want to just lump those all together because those are fictional and this is non-fictional. But in John 3, this is what's interesting. We discover that God, God planned to give the world a present. God wanted to give the world a gift. That's awesome. 
I know many of us have received some pretty amazing presents, maybe even given away some amazing presents. And maybe you are a very good gift giver, but no one can outgive the one true God. I want you to imagine if the richest person in the world was also the most generous person in the world, was also the most creative person in the world. If the same person was the richest, the most generous, and the most creative person, wouldn't the gifts that person gave be pretty amazing? They would, right? Those would be pretty amazing gifts. Those would be hard to top. But if God desires to give mankind a present, and he did, this present is going to be overwhelming and unrivaled. And that's the first thing we learn in John chapter 3, verse 16, is that God loved his creation so much that he desired to give us something incredible. He desired to give us an incredible present. In fact, it's the best present anyone ever gave mankind. You won't be surprised by what that is. But before we understand what the gift is that God gave us, we need to take a journey together. Just like Ebenezer Scrooge had to go on a little bit of a journey, and George Bailey had to go on a little bit of a journey. And yes, it's fictional, but this is true life. But in order to receive God's gift in the spirit that it was intended, I think we need to take a journey to get that perspective. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the perspective first in order to hopefully receive the gift that God has for us. So go along with a, uh, on a journey with me today, and uh, we will hopefully get that perspective. See, at the beginning of A Christmas Carol, George, or excuse me, Scrooge doesn't have the proper perspective. So when someone tries to tell him about Christmas and kindness and generosity, what's the word he's kept saying to them? Humbug. Humbug. And uh, Scrooge did not have the proper perspective. So today we want to get the proper perspective because we need that perspective in order to receive God's gift the way it was intended. So let's take a journey together. What we're going to do is, with John 3, verses 16 to 20, we're actually going to look at it backwards. We're going to look at the second half in order to appreciate the first half, because our goal, again, is to gain the proper perspective in order to receive the gift God has for us. In John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to a man called Nicodemus. You may have heard many parts of this passage before. At the beginning, he's speaking to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And if, if you were Nicodemus, uh, it would probably be, make sense that he was quite confused by that because Nicodemus is like, what, I'm supposed to go into my mom's womb again? And of course, Jesus is not speaking physically. He's speaking spiritually, be born again. So Nicodemus has to sur- sort of understand what Jesus is saying based on that. And after he tells Nicodemus that he must be born again, Jesus tells, them, tells him about a gift that God gave to mankind. And of course, Jesus is referring to himself in John 3.16. But he speaks in the third person coming from God's point of view when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave. We're going to find out what that is, but we're going to understand this perspective, hopefully before we get to the gift. And that's what verses 19 and 21 I hope will do for us. Let's read those verses again. Give us this perspective. Listen to what it says in verse 19. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Have you ever been awakened by someone turning the lights on? It's kind of a rude way to wake someone up, right? We get adjusted to the dark. And when I was little, the parents would just flip the lights right on, right? And uh, kind of an offensive way to wake up because your eyes are used to the darkness, not the light. So 
Light is very offensive when your eyes are used to the darkness, right? Or how about this? When you're driving, like, like I did today, and the sun is so intense and so bright and so magnificent that sometimes it gets right into your eyeball while you're driving, and you have to like act immediately to get that sun out of your eyes. So you've got to fumble around for the sunglasses or grab that flap in front of your seat there and try to put it in the way of the sun. So I was doing that the other day. It was so intense. I had my sunglasses on, and the sun was still so intense. I had to get that flap down. Is it always 100% of the time there's always something up there too? Something falls down, right? It kind of gets in the way of the pedal. So something's always up there and then it gets a flap down and then you turn the car and then the sun gets right in your eyeball again and you got to put that flap off to the side of the car. Because the sun is so intense. Because light is offensive in some aspects of light. Because when we're used to the darkness, light bothers us. It does. And Jesus is telling us the reason that most people don't and won't receive God's amazing gift for us is because they love the darkness. They love the darkness. And darkness means sins. The reason most people don't receive God's amazing gift is because they love their sins, a.k.a. the darkness. And that's what's called having the wrong perspective. Looking at sin and wanting sin and desiring sin over God's amazing gift. You see, sin is the rival or maybe the obstacle to God's gift for us. You could call sin the anti-gift. Because sin does the opposite of help us. It harms us. Sin harms us. Sin hurts us. Sin does the opposite of improve our lives. It destroys our lives. Sin does the opposite of lead us to eternal life. It leads us to eternal death. And sin blocks our vision and perverts our perspective so we don't see or desire God's amazing gift for us. Sin is devastating to our souls. It is. It's very, very harmful to us. It's interesting, though, and maybe even ironic, that the word sin is so close in our English language to the gift that God has for us. If you're anything like me, if you type on a computer or a tablet or phone, you make a lot of mistakes. Anyone else? make a lot of mistakes. We have this thing called autocorrect. Thank you. I see that hand. We have this thing called autocorrect, which is supposed to help us, right? And sometimes it actually does the opposite. So sometimes when I send a text to my wife, I'm trying to be all sweet and I say, you know, I send a text. I love you, Janine. I know. It's, I, how'd I think of that? And I'm trying to be all sweet and send a text to my wife. And it actually, <laughs> a few times it comes out, I love you, Janice. And I send it. And Janine gets that, and it's not sweet. And then she calls me and asks me who this Janice is and how long we've been in love together. And, <laughs> and then I have to explain to her, you know, it's not, there's no Janice. And she still doesn't believe me. No, she, this is a joke. But is autocorrect made our life better or worse? I'm not sure. We make a lot of mistakes still. See, as a pastor, I have to be very careful what I say and what I type. Sadly, sometimes when I desire to type the word son, referring to the son of God, I actually mistype it as sin. And I have to immediately correct that mistake because if I don't correct that mistake, I'm going to have an awkward sermon on my hands that's going to split the church. But it's merely an unfortunate coincidence in our English language that these two polar opposite words are so close to one another. It's one letter off. In fact, on the keyboard, on the keyboard, in fact, I have a BlackBerry device here with a keyboard on it. I and O are right next to each other. It's, it's so interesting that these words that are so close in the English language are such polar opposite words that I mistype son as sin. But the other day, as I mistyped that, it had me considering how close yet how far these two words actually are from one another, sin and son. 
See, in John 3.16, which we're going to circle back to here in a little bit, we find out clearly that God's gift to mankind is his only begotten son. And that word begotten is important because you could say everyone who believes in Jesus is God's son or daughter, right? But there's no one else like Jesus. No one. He is God's only begotten son, which means he's exactly like God. He thinks like God. He acts like God. He wants the same things that God wants. There's no one else like Jesus. That word is important. Sadly, though, the reason most people choose to reject the gift that God has for them is because they love their sins. Do you see how devastating sin is? It actually keeps us, holds us back from receiving God's most amazing gift. In John 3.17, God tells us that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I love that verse. John 3.16 gets a lot of speaking about, and it should, but John 3.17 is also a wonderful verse. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son in order that the world might be saved through him. And it was incredibly difficult for Jesus to come to this earth. We spoke about that last week, but I want you to imagine what it was for the Son of God to step off his throne in heaven, who wasn't a man, and become a man. Because he had to save us. He had to leave all his royalty, all his riches, all his praise and adoration in heaven. And he had to step onto this earth as a baby. Into people and from people that he created. He had to be raised and nursed by people he created. Jesus had to have his diapers changed. He had to grow. He had to learn. He, the amount of humility that Jesus gave in order for us to be saved is, is beyond estimation. But it's important to realize because this is an amazing gift God decided to give mankind. And this gift was incredibly hard to give us. Difficult, costly to give us. And God could, could have sent us judgment into the world. He could have sent Jesus to judge us. Jesus, go down to those people on earth because they're really bad. They're really rebelling against me. They're really sinful. Go down and judge those people. Give them exactly what they deserve. Give them condemnation. But did he? know? He didn't. He sent Jesus to this earth because he loved us so much and he wanted us to be saved when we actually deserved condemnation. And John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world that he sent us salvation instead of condemnation. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. He didn't send you condemnation. He sent his son, which was really costly, in order to save you. But you know what's interesting? Do you know what actually literally does condemn the world? Sin. Sin does. Sin condemns the world. The son saves the world, and sin condemns us. That's what's so interesting about these two words. So closely associated in the English language, but so far from how they treat us. The Son saves us and sin condemns us. Isn't that powerful to think about? But there's even something sadder than that. Sin condemns us all to eternal damnation, and that's the one we want. Sin condemns, the Son saves, and we still choose the one that condemns. A lot of people. Most of the world says, I still want sin. I'd rather have sin than the sun. How does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? It doesn't. But I've been in the camp of someone who wanted sin instead of the sun. I know what that's like. I chose sin over the sun for a long portion of my life, and I'll tell you why I did it. Why I chose sin over the sun. It's very clear. 
My perspective was wrong. My perspective was off. It was wrong. Just like Scrooge at the beginning of the movie, just like George Bailey at the beginning of the movie, their perspective is wrong. They can't see clearly. I chose sin over the sun because my perspective was wrong. Like most of the world, I wanted instant gratification. I wanted to have fun on the earth. I wanted to have lots of friends. And I wanted to do what everyone else was doing. That's why I chose sin. That's what sin offers us, right? It offers us instant gratification, a lot of friends, a lot of fun. But we also have an illustration of that in our culture. Drugs. Drugs. See, drugs promise to bring us instant gratification. I'll make you feel good now. I'll make you happy now. You can have a feeling right now. But you know what? They'll also probably destroy us. People flock to drugs for a momentary feeling and euphoria, even though later on... The drugs are going to hurt them and steal things from them. Things like a longer life, things like a wholesome relationship with your family, things like a secure job, drugs steal from you. And that's exactly what sin does as well. Sin offers us instant gratification and a feeling. We invite sin into our lives to make our lives better, and immediately it begins stealing things from us. Things like eternal life with God. Things like a wholesome relationship with God. Things like secure hope and joy. That's what sin does. Is sin worth that? Is sin worth that? Is sin worth an instant gratification that also brings eternal ruin? That seems to be what our perspective is. I'd rather have sin. Give me the instant feedback, the instant gratification now, and I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. When I get to Judgment Day, I'll worry about it then. That's a bad, bad thing. But it's interesting Sometimes the best gifts we ever receive as presents are things we ask for, right? I mean, consider it. The people that know me best in the world, like my wife and my family, are still so confused as to what to get me for Christmas and my birthday. They'd have to ask me, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? And I'm not ragging on you guys because I do the exact same thing. Tell me what to get you. I'll go buy it. So sometimes I get really cool presents, but it's because I ask for them. Please get me slippers for Christmas and... Dad, are you listening? I want slippers this year. Get me slippers. And sometimes I get really cool presents because I ask for them. In fact, the best present I ever received on this earth was something that I asked for. My wife. My wife. I sat down with Mr. Steve Thurman in 2008, the fall of 2008, and after about three hours of begging him, I asked him to give, him my, give, him, uh, give me his daughter in marriage because I really wanted to have her. And after three hours of him telling me to get lost punk, he finally said, okay, you win. You can marry my daughter. It wasn't like that. It wasn't that bad. But one of the best presents I ever received was something that I asked for. That's what I wanted. That's what I asked for. And that's what I got. And I'm thrilled. But you know what's also interesting? I also have been given six, under, six other wonderful presents on this earth that I didn't ask for. My children. My children. In fact, one day I got a present that I remember I'm not even sure I wanted, which was identical twin boys. Many of you have heard this story before, but we sat in the doctor's office, <laughs> and the doctor told me that there were two heads on the ultrasound. <laughs> and as I pondered what it was going to be like having a two-headed son, <laughs> he cleared up my confusion and told me that we were having identical twin boys. And I don't know what you would have thought at that moment, but I was stunned. I was scared. I was thinking, this is not going to go well because I'm bad at kid number one. 
we can't get two at the same time. This is not going to go well. And if you would have asked me prior to that day if I would have wanted identical twin boys, if I wanted, would have wanted two babies at the same time, I would have said, no, I'm good with one, thanks. One is plenty. But it's because my perspective was wrong about twins. It was. All I could consider when I heard that news is how hard the work was going to be, how many sleepless nights we were going to have, how moneyless my bank account was going to be, how I was going to lose even more hair. But what I didn't see was one of the biggest blessings I ever could receive, my twin sons, Titus and Levi. Go to this next slide here. Look at these guys here. Now, this is a couple years ago. These guys are obviously, you guys have seen them a lot older than that now. But look at those guys. I wouldn't trade those two for anything. I really wouldn't. My perspective is different today than it was in that doctor's office when I found I was having twins because there's nothing like having twins. My mom has said it this way. She said, everyone should have twins and everyone should have a twin. Anyone agree with that? Maybe have a twin? Maybe you think you're so cool there should be two of you? But I, I changed my perspective. Maybe God changed my perspective on having twins because I don't trade those guys for anything now. Those things, they are a treasure to me. But we all think we know what we want. Is that correct? We all think we know that what we want is what we want. I remember the one Christmas I asked for a chemistry set. I don't know why. I liked MacGyver or something. I, <laughs> I asked my parents to get me a chemistry set for Christmas, and I got it. And I was thrilled to get a chemistry set. And then I opened the chemistry set and decided... What did I ask for this? I, I don't know what I'm doing with a chemistry set. I started putting things together and started blowing things up. And I shouldn't have had a chemistry set. I didn't know what I wanted back when I was a little boy. But I asked for a chemistry set. So we all think we know what we want, right? If we had a Christmas list of all the things we want in, in this earth, from this life, it would probably say that we want a long, happy life on the earth filled with all our physical desires and no hard things, right? If that's what we could ask from this life, that's probably what we would ask for. A long, happy life on earth filled with all my physical desires and no hard things. But is that actually what we want 50 to 100 years from now? Because there is a future version of ourselves, correct? There is a future version of Todd 50 to 100 years from now that may want something different than that. Because you want different things as an adult than you do as a child, some of us, right? We change our perspective. You see, we all know that our life on earth is fragile, right? We all know that. We don't like to discuss it, though. It's like we, if we act, we're going to live forever, then perhaps we can trick ourselves into losing sight of the fact that we're all going to die one day. Death is the big party killer. It's the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about death. It's there. It's hanging over us. We all know our life is fragile, but if we don't talk about it, maybe it won't happen. You see, but death is not the worst case scenario. It's not. Everyone is going to die. If the Lord Jesus doesn't come back in your lifetime, every single one of us is going to face death. But there is something much, much worse than, than physical death, and that's spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy, having to pay for our own sins. It's much, much worse than death. The worst thing we could ever encounter as sinners is Judgment Day, standing before a holy God who detests sin so much that he created a place called hell for the destruction of the ungodly. And we're standing before him, and we have no payment for our sins. That is the worst case scenario. 
having to pay for our own sins. And sadly, one day, some of us are going to stand before God totally, entirely, spiritually bankrupt and have no payment for our sins, which is going to warrant us a one-way ticket to eternal death and separation from the very God who loved us enough to sacrifice his son for us. That's truly devastating. That will be and would be truly devastating if we fall into that category of people. And what will be the reason for that? It's not God's fault. It will not be God's fault. God chose to love us to such a degree that he sent his son to the earth to save us before we would experience that awful reality, right? That's what God did. It wouldn't be God's fault. It would be our fault. See, John 3, 16 and 17 tell us that. God so loved the world that he gave us his son. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So what did God do? God sent salvation. If we stand before God spiritually bankrupt, it's because we chose that. So the reason some of us will face that spiritual bankruptcy on Judgment Day is because we chose sin over the Son. Back on earth, we cared very little about God's gift for us. We just wanted the pleasures of sin. That's all we wanted on earth. Give me sin. Give me fun. Give me pleasure. Give me everything everyone else has. But on Judgment Day, when we stand before God and we're facing our eternal destination, it's a guarantee we won't care about our sin on earth any longer because those feelings are long gone. And we will wish that we had a Savior, every one of us. We will wish that we had the Son instead of the sin. That's a journey of perspective right there. That's the journey we had to take because we had to take that journey in order to appreciate God's gift for us. You remember those movies, right? They had to go on the journey. Without the journey of perspective, Scrooge doesn't change. Without the journey of perspective, George Bailey doesn't see his life differently. They had to go on the journey of the gift of perspective. So now let's look at the first half of our text in order to appreciate what God has given for us. We've hinted at it already. Let's just say it clearly. In verse 16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The question we must all answer today is, what do we want, sin or the Son? Sin or the Son? For those whose perspective still remains off, sin still seems better. Right now, maybe your perspective is still wrong and you say, I'd rather have the sin. But perhaps there may be some in this room whose perspective has changed based on that journey. And they've changed like Ebenezer Scrooge and George Bailey. And now they see better, clearer. They want different things. Those are fictional characters. Those movies are plots made up by writers. This is real. This is real. This is where this journey takes a different course than this because that's a movie that you watch and you get fuzzy feelings and it's over. This is reality. This is our eternal reality. I want to ask you a few questions. Why would Jesus come to this earth 
unless he dearly loved his father and dearly loved us. Why would he come? Why would Jesus die on a cross for his own creation unless he genuinely wanted us saved and together with God for all eternity? Why would Jesus die on a cross unless he wanted that? Why would Jesus tell us this truth today unless he knew the grave consequences of chasing our sins and rejecting God's gift? And why would God the Father sacrifice his only begotten Son to save us? unless he knew that eternal condemnation was our destiny. You see, we've been given a gift. It's a truly amazing gift. It's not a gift we asked for. It's not a gift we even think we wanted or needed. But every single one of us desperately needs this gift. Every single one of us. And Jesus came to this earth not only to tell us about this gift, he came as the gift. Jesus is our present from God. When you and I buy a gift for someone, we have to sacrifice time or money or both. But when Jesus came to this earth, he had to sacrifice all his riches, all his power, all his royalty in heaven. Even when he came to the earth, he wasn't a king in a palace, was he? He was a servant. And when he eventually went to the cross, Jesus gave up his blood and his body. Why did he do all of that? Because he was God's amazing gift to this world. And Jesus loved us just like God loved us because he is God's only begotten son and whatever God loves, he loves. We have God's amazing gift. Jesus came to this earth. We know of it, we teach it, we proclaim it today because Jesus gave it all up so that we could be blessed, so that we could be saved. Let's do one last thing in order to properly shape our perspective today. Let's look at the coming of Jesus from those who would be used to bring him into this world. Let's look at what's called a classic Christmas passage now from Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen. This is a classic Christmas passage, okay? Matthew chapter 1. Pastor Mel spoke to us from Luke 2, but we're going to look at Matthew 1. Listen to what it says in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, Joseph and Mary also had no possible understanding of these deep things until they actually occurred, until they actually happened. Joseph's perspective was off. He thought his soon-to-be bride, Mary, had been unfaithful to him, and so he sought to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to shame her, but she was unfaithful, according to his perspective. Mary thought herself to be a common woman, a sinner, unworthy of something as grand as giving birth to the baby Jesus. But she found favor with the Lord. And although Joseph and Mary are special characters in the Bible, they too are sinners. 
Joseph and Mary, no matter what they desired and expected from the visit of that angel, they too needed God's amazing present, didn't they? The same people that brought Jesus into the world also needed that present. And it's interesting that the name Jesus, although maybe we've become numb to it by now, the name Jesus is so profound and so holy, it means a couple really important things, okay? The name Jesus means this, according to the text we just read. Number one, it means Savior of sinners. That's what the name means. Jesus' name means Savior of sinners. I heard an old minister say it this way once. If Jesus had an office door, it would say Savior of sinners on the door, and every sinner would be encouraged to make a meeting. It's a cool way to put it, isn't it? Because that's what his name means, Savior of sinners. But it also means, number two, God with us. God with us. Let that sink into your brain for a little bit. God with us. <laughs> Jesus' name means, first of all, he came to save us from the very thing that was destroying us, which was sin. Sin was condemning us. Sin was destroying us. And Jesus came to save us from that. He came to remove us from the camp of destruction and transfer us to God's eternal glorified kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. But what gives Jesus the right and the power to do that? What gives Jesus the right and the power to save us? Who is he that he can do such a thing? He can save me from my sin? He can save me from the destructive nature of my soul? What can, who can do that and why can he do it? Well, it's because of what the second thing Jesus' name means. It means God with us. God with us. See, Jesus became a man, but he was much more than a man. Jesus was God's only begotten son sent to this earth. And therefore, we didn't just have a baby or a boy. We didn't just have the offspring of Joseph and Mary trying to save us, because that would be noble. That's a noble task. But no, we had God with us. God with us. So not only was Jesus willing to save us, he's able to save us because he's God. He's God's son. And Jesus knew that even though he was God's amazing gift, that many people were going to reject him because their perspective was off. Their perspective was off that they needed and wanted this gift. And in fact, they were going to flat out reject Jesus to the point of killing him. How wrong is that perspective? God's amazing gift came to this earth. They not only reject that gift, they kill that gift. That's a wrong perspective. But Jesus came anyways because he knew that those, those whose perspective would change would believe in him. They would. And they would be saved from the sinful lifestyle that was destroying them. And they would embrace Jesus as the most amazing gift anyone has ever received. And thereby, they would find eternal life with God. It's been a long journey. It's been a long journey to get to this place, but now it comes down to us. Has our perspective been changed today forever? Do you see that sin was destroying you? Do you see that you have a great need to be saved from those sins? There was one day that I realized that that I realized the destructive nature of sin and that it was hurting me. And although it was promising me good feelings and lots of friends and a fun time on earth, it was actually destroying me and hurting me and stealing from me. I, did, I realized that, and I turned to Jesus that day. 
Have you? Have you? Let's read it again, John 3, 16 to 19, to 18, excuse me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, this is simple enough for a child to understand. It's supposed to be that way. It's simple. Children can understand and appreciate this gift. Jesus is God's amazing gift to the world. God desperately wants us to have this gift because that gift means eternal life with him and avoidance of eternal condemnation. God desperately wants us to have this present. But you and I must have the proper perspective to believe and to receive this gift. And if we don't, then we won't receive Jesus. We won't. And we will remain condemned before God. We will remain spiritually bankrupt. And that's going to be tragic because there's not going to be any other Savior sent to this world. No other Savior given to mankind besides Jesus. No one else could save us besides the very Son of God. Jesus is so unique, and he was so willing and able to save us. No one else can meet that criteria. Only Jesus. He's the only Savior of this world. He's the only Savior of mankind. There is no one else who could. There is no one else who would. Only Jesus. But if we can see that Jesus today is God's amazing gift of love, grace, and forgiveness towards us, we will leave the path of sin, which means repent, turn around. That sin that is hurting you, that is stealing from you, that is destroying you, you have to leave it. you got to give it up. you got to turn around. And you got to begin following the Son on his path. Because although these words are so close in the English language, they're only one letter off, they are so polar opposite in their directions and their destinations. Sin takes you to hell. The Son takes you to the kingdom of God. So where's your perspective today? On sin or on the Son? You can't have them both. They are polar opposites. Sin will lead you to harm, and the Son will lead you to eternal life. They are two totally different directions with two totally destinations. So the question is very simple today. Did you receive the gift of perspective today? See, the gift of perspective isn't the ultimate gift. It's not. We titled that on purpose. It's not the ultimate gift. But the gift of perspective allows you to receive the ultimate gift, who is Jesus Christ. If you have received the gift of perspective today, will you or have you received the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus? Because it's the most amazing gift God ever gave anyone. It's the most amazing gift you will ever receive is the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers If you need help, if you need further explanation, I want you to understand, you can come speak to me, okay? We can make a meeting. We can talk today. You can talk to Pastor Mel. We want you to not be confused on this. We want you to understand this. We want your perspective to be right. We want your your, uh, confusion to be cleared up. So please come talk to us if you need to. We want you to understand that this gift is for you. It's for you. Put your name there. And that God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son 
so that you would believe and not perish and find eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, it is the season that we believe that you came to this earth and you gave your life as a ransom. You gave your life as a sacrifice. There was no other way for us to find eternal life. There was no other way for us to find salvation from our sins except for your sacrifice that you willingly gave us. I pray for the souls in this room. I don't know where they are with their perspective. I don't know where they are with their lifestyle, but Father, I pray for them. I pray that you'd open the eyes of their hearts to see the sun as so much better than the sin. That we would all receive this amazing gift. We'd all either begin our journey of following Jesus or continue that journey of following Jesus because he is God's amazing gift to this world. And we give you all praise and glory for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.